time on Chew Diligence, behind the bread at Ibis Bakery. I loved the process. It's like very meditative. Um, <laughs> can't rush it. You have to be patient. It, you have to let the dough be what it's going to be. And the local legend that helped them rise. They paved the way for us to really be able to do what we do. Messenger Coffee. I remember before we opened, a week before, we were all freaking out. It was like, no one's going to come. Like, who's going to come <laughs> into the space? Like, we don't even know. <laughs> but people do. <laughs> yeah, they did. And their mission for the best ingredients. Like If you take regular flour and stick it in water and put it in a jar, nothing's going to happen for a while. If you take this flour and put it in water and stick it in a jar, nothing else. It will just start exploding <laughs> for a few hours. Welcome to the pod studio. We are chomping at the bit to talk about the awesome food we've eaten lately. So first, the food on this episode of Chew Diligence. Lindsay Shively here with Jill Silva and our guest, Chris Mache. Welcome. Thanks for having me. We're so excited. Chris is here from, we were talking about how should we introduce you, Chris, because you guys do a, a multitude of delicious things, including Ibis Bakery and Messenger Coffee. Yeah. <laughs> and there's even an association with Black Dog, too. Right? Yeah. 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 That's where it all started. <laughs> okay. More on that soon. Jill, where have you been eating? Uh, Lindsay, I went to Harp Barbecue. Remember when we talked about that on the Crane episode? Um, met Tyler Harp. Um, yeah. Pretty extraordinary. So he had these great big cookers out under a tent in front of um, the Raytown Brewery, and he did brisket, um, he did pork belly, but here's the deal. I went up to, and I said, and I don't think anybody had done this before, I said, I want one of everything on your menu. <laughs> <laughs> You're not surprised by that, are you? <laughs> no, and I love it. Um, and, and the person who was taking my um, debit card said, hmm, <laughs> as if this hadn't happened. I said, what? Um, so we had tacos. We had the brisket. We had the pork belly, which was delicious. Um, let's see. We had the sides. So his coleslaw has Granny Smith apples in it. Yum. Very delicious. Uh, let me look at my photo here. It's just, this is some of the most photogenic barbecue I've ever seen. So the tacos... His Instagram's amazing. Yeah, and the tacos come with pickled strawberries. So what is a better contrast with you know, meat colors? Oh, right. Yeah, yeah. really beautiful. How did the pickled strawberries pick up with the brisket? Man, it works really well because you've got that fattiness, you know, of mm. the meat and then you've got that sort of zing and sweetness of the pickled strawberry. So it worked really well. Also visually, you know, it makes a stunning photograph. Awesome. Was it busy? Um, yes. And kind of, no. I mean, at the, yeah. it was sort of, you know, ebbs and flows. Yeah, yeah. Um, but the, the brewery was pretty full. And after that, a lot of people started playing games. Hmm. They have board games, games in the corner. So, you know. What a Saturday treat. It was just fun to hang out for a couple of hours. And, of course, I did get a back-behind-the-scenes tour as well. So Nice. Yeah, I got to see all the tanks and... Talk about all the fun stuff they're working on. If your mouth is watering, please go listen to our previous episode with uh, Michael and all the, the fun people at Crane Brewing and talking about barbecue. Um, I have recently decided I'm my eating out is going to consist of takeout for a while because it's just a little more relaxing with the six-month-old. Yeah, it's a little... <laughs> A little tough to go out with the little ones. I remember that. I mean, she's pretty good, but um, mom doesn't relax, right? Mom's watching her. 
you're right. Yeah, you're always worried there's going to be some kind of food throwing or, <laughs> you know, rearing backward tantrum out, you know, onto somebody's, yeah, yeah, onto somebody's table nearby. Yeah, I, I get it. Right. So I think this is going to be the first of several uh, takeout Saturday situations, but we were talking about where to go and I wanted to try someplace different. And I have realized I hadn't been to Chai Shai in forever. I years ago discovered it, loved it in Brookside, and then a friend brought it to me on maternity leave. And I was like, oh, where have you been? The spicy mangoes are unbelievable. They're not shy with the slices of mangoes and the seasoning they put on it is amazing. And um their staff is just really helpful too. And I called up and I really wanted lamb korma. They go, listen, the special tonight is alu gosht, if I'm saying that right. And it's if you like lamb korma, you're gonna love this. And they were spot on. The samosas are some of the chewiest and well-spiced I've had. It's I loved it. It's a 59th and Holmes. They're well known for their samosas, for sure. Mom's recipe, I hear, from yeah. family, right? Yes. Absolutely. So, Chris. Yeah. Get in on this. Where have you been lately? <laughs> uh, my wife and I live in Strawberry Hill, and there's a couple of spots that we love. Uh, Slaps Barbecue is really nice. Oh, yes. Um, yes. And- nice understatement. <laughs> Uh, there's a restaurant, it's El Salvadorian food, and uh, it's called Las Palmas, I believe. That I've heard good really things great. about this. The pupusas are are great, really nice as well. <laughs> uh, and yeah, there's a lot of, uh, like San Antonio's market is, is over there. They make all their own tortillas in-house, and their tacos are really fantastic. I love that place. Yeah, there's a lot of good spots in Kansas City, Kansas. Oh, that's San Antonio is one of the ones when I ask where to go for tacos, that one always comes up. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Delicious. And then across the street, there's El Pollo Rey. Mm-hmm. Oh. And then down the street, there's Jarocho. Mm-hmm. So a really good nexus there of, of delicious Mexican food. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I love that. Thank you, Chris. We're always we always want to ask the guests where they go because that sends us off <laughs> on our own. Yeah. <laughs> eating adventures. Let's talk about, uh, speaking of delicious, Ibis Bakery, uh, the pastries I've had at your shop are unbelievable. Thank you. <laughs> how, how did you get yeah. started in all this? Uh, yeah, so it actually started at Black Dog. Joel uh, <laughs> was one of our earliest customers, actually, and um, advocates. Um, but we, my family purchased Black Dog uh, almost six years ago now. Um, from the previous owner um, who was having some health issues. We used to meet there. I, I I grew up playing soccer and doing action sports. So I had a, my brother and I had started a skateboard shop that was right down the street, and we used to have our meetings at Black Dog. So I, I've been a customer love there it. for 10 years. Um, and, yeah, when we found out that it was up for sale, my uh, my mom was transitioning, and she ended up wanting to kind of take it over. Uh, independently of all of that, I had been talking to my brother-in-law and my brother um, and my wife and some others about starting a coffee roasting company slash bakery, um, and we ended up doing them, actually starting both of them right next door. So we had a little tiny roaster in an old karate gym um, where mm. we had all of our green coffee stored there, and we were baking in actually the back of Black Dog's Kitchen out of that time in um, – know what they would be called uh like cast iron skillets with lids (laughs) (laughs) nice (laughs) because it makes a nice crust for the bread so yeah and then it just sort of actually when joel wrote the article on toast it just kind of took off that actually 
So Black Dog is in my neighborhood. So we had been following it for years. Lenexa, um, right? With, yeah, with previous owners. And um, so my husband was spending a lot of time at Black Dog. It was kind of his uh, home away from home, his office. Um, and one day he came home and he said, oh, my gosh, you're working on your food issue, the annual, annual food issue that I did for the magazine when I was at the Star. And that usually had 35 different you know, new things in town. And he said, you've got to do toast. I just had the most (laughs) phenomenal toast. You've got to go over to Black Dog. So I go over there and it's the thickest toast I've ever seen. And um, it's just beautiful rustic breads and it's spread with, you know, all kinds of different toppings. And I'm like, okay, yeah, let's do this. So that's the first time I met Chris and his wife, Kate, and kind of took off from there. I mean, it's been a stunning and meteoric rise because I looked back that was 2014 does that sound right yeah yeah Yeah. I mean so that's not that long ago and I remember asking you when you bought for fair I said what is going on here how long have you been cooking bread and making bread baking bread and Chris said like four years and I'm like This is stunning. You know, it's really stunning how fast. But your learning curve has been exponential, and you've had a little help from Fred Spompanato on that. Yes, yes. So walk us through kind of the, (laughs) you know, toast toast to soon I knew you were kicking out the wall into the dojo next door, and then it just kept growing and growing and growing. Yeah, yeah. Um, It was originally just bread, and I was planning on just learning how to do it and passing it off to somebody else Mm. because I was really interested in coffee. Um, and then I just fell in love with the process. So I just did it every day. Um, got in contact with Fred, who was the previous owner of Favari, and he helped me learn, which gave me a big leg up in my learning curve. Like, I think I, I got, you know, 30 years of wisdom, maybe 40 years of wisdom in a very concentrated time. I could still be working out of the karate dojo now if it wasn't for him. Hmm. Um, and Taylor Petrin, who owns 1900 Barker. We baked together quite a bit before he opened his spot and we opened our spot. Um, and I remember going over to his house uh, and he he had been in it, in, in bread making and connected with the Fred prior to me. But he had this, uh, <laughs> he was always experimenting with stuff. And his his metric, metric of success was whether or not it made bread. Um, <laughs> <laughs> well, it's a good place to start, don't yeah, you think? Right? It's a great place to start, yeah. And I think he's it's paid off. He's doing amazing. Um, yeah, so the bread world is super small, um, and it's a fun world to be in, super collaborative. So I just really loved the community, and I loved the process. It's, like, very meditative. Um, hmm. You can't rush it. You have to be patient. It You have to let the dough be what it's going to be. And uh, my wife loved to sell it she like loved customer interactions loved telling people what it was and how it was better for your body and like yeah so she was serving toast um while my mom was kind of managing the store and all yeah it just was it was i have fond memories of that cranberry walnut still yeah. still my favorite describe some of these toasts so people can i mean i i described it as thick but beyond that give them a little visual on what you started out with yeah so we do our breads are like old world french style breads they're leavened naturally with a sourdough starter essentially but it's kind of mild and it takes 
you know, 30 hours between start to, to finish to, 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 to end a loaf of bread. And it comes out like really caramelized and sweet, um, and like open interior. Um, so we slice that up in probably like an inch ish thick toast it, um, and the holes absorb the butter, so we slather it with butter and salt. Oh. Um, mm-hmm. and, <laughs> and we do like a country bread, which is just basic flour, water, salt, and jam, and a little bit of sea salt and butter. And then cranberry walnut was the one that we kind of became known for. Uh, it's just toasted walnuts, cranberries that are soaked a little bit. And we do that with butter, almond butter, honey, and sea salt. And... Yeah, those were kind of the two. The country bread with jam and the cranberry walnut. And the cranberry walnut was one I got from a friend who's baking on the West Coast. So I can't take credit for that <laughs> recipe. <laughs> yeah, but it's popular, so it really doesn't matter, <laughs> yeah. does it? Right? <laughs> what do you think it is about something that seems so simple but has such a process behind it, surely? But what is that? Why do people gravitate to it? Yeah. I felt like toast was reinvented when I met that piece of toast. Hmm. I was like... You know, we all put toast in the toaster and the bagel in the bagel. You know, it, uh, it's it's just it was something that I felt like I hadn't seen before. Now, you went to San Francisco and kind of there was a toast thing going on that sort of inspired you, right? Yeah, there was a place called The Mill um, in San Francisco that was doing it. And my, my brother-in-law, who was living out on the West Coast, who started the companies with me and some other people, he... Uh, was the one who brought the idea to us. Um, and that concept, I did some more research after <laughs> after the fact, was actually started by this lady who has a very small coffee house on a beach, Ocean Beach, I believe, um, in San Francisco. And she does coconuts, coffee, and toast. Huh. And she makes her bread. Like, it's just, it's a cool concept. I can't actually remember the name off the top of my head, but... So the origins are are not here, but uh, yeah, the concept is just like people have eat toast. Right. It's nostalgic, but better than anything you ever made at home. Right. It just doesn't look like anything you've ever made at home. Right. Even the good stuff that you might put in your toaster. It didn't look the same. But I think even beyond that, it was just sort of something that I really hadn't seen before. And it was Mm. before avocado toast, I feel like. So, you know, that craze kind of took off and you guys really resisted not doing the avocado toast thing. Yeah. (laughs) Um, I don't know. I guess you should be congratulated, but uh, we've given it. What was the thought there? (laughs) Uh, I I think we just wanted to be relatively simple, like Mm. to harken back to what you had growing up or with breakfast just in general. So jam and butter and bread. And yeah, the nut butter was sort of a playoff of peanut butter and jelly or ish. But my wife and I really like almond butter. So that's why that became a toast topping. Um, Yeah. yeah. And so now you've evolved to, and am I saying this correct, tartines? Yeah. So that's kind of like, it's kind of toast and it's kind of a sandwich, sort of, but open-faced, right? Yeah, it's just a glorified toast, really. Okay. It's, it's okay, I just loaded to clarify toast, right? that. <laughs> yeah. It, it, that's kind of what it felt like, but then, you know, you see a new word and you go, what's that? <laughs> it was our way of not putting avocado toast on the menu. <laughs> <laughs> well, so, and 
uh, at your opening for the downtown location, which we need to talk about, um, you had you had those tartines, those open face yeah. bread, sammy kinds of things, and there were lots of different toppings there that were not the same thing that you had going yeah. on at Black Dog. That was completely unintentional, actually. Our kitchen didn't get certified to open by our grand opening. So our cook at that time, Logan, he, like, over the course of a couple of weeks, had to figure out a way to produce a menu without any burners, essentially. Oh, wow. Um, so we had just a toaster and a and that's <laughs> why. That's well, we're your, doing toast. <laughs> that's the heating element. Right. <laughs> that's yeah. That's basically what happened. And um, and then we've yeah, it's sort of expanded from there. But he was able to execute a lot off of a very <laughs> rudimentary space. Uh, so the tartines we didn't plan on having when we first opened. We actually were going to have a lot of other things that were just like bread centric. Mm-hmm. Um, but because of that, and now they've stuck because people really like them. And mm. it ties into our concept well. I guess that's sort of how we started. So, mm. yeah. Absolutely. So you had Black Dog. Then you went to Ibis. Uh, you bought Freveri in mm-hmm. between there. So you should give us a little history on that. And then you make this big leap to that really amazing Ibis messenger. Tell us how that kind of yeah. so, happened. So our current space... Uh, which is just messenger coffee. It's on the front. It, um, we've been planning that for since we started. So we oh, wanted wow. to have like an open space uh, concept where you could come in and see the processes functioning. Um, and we, um, so everything else that's happened between when we started and the opening of that space, like a little over a year and a half ago, has been, um, yeah, just growth to get to the point where that makes sense for us to open a space like that. Um, so Fred, when uh, about a year after I started baking with him, um, who was the owner of Ferveri, he wanted to retire and said he was going to close down the space um, or offer it to his two staff members, or he wanted someone that he thought would, like, understood the concept, so he reached out to, to us. And uh, the other two owners actually ended up partnering with us. So we did it in tandem with one another. So, uh, and then they, their wives both got jobs within over the course of a year out of state. So they oh, moved wow. away hmm. um, and we kept it. Um, and it's just such an asset to the city and we didn't want it to close. Uh, so, and I, I just love what it is and love the space. And we've had some issues with the oven mm. stuff over the course of time um, that we're still trying to resolve. Um, but yeah, it's, yeah, yeah, I feel like there's so much to what Ferveri is, uh, and we hope to keep it going. Yeah, and Fred is pretty uh, important to the whole uh, rustic yeah. or art- artisan bread. I mean, t- tell us just a tiny bit about his background. Yeah, so he was baking for I think it's called Monterey Bread, um, where he was doing thousands of pounds of bread a day um, and ended up, I think, managing that production and wanted to downsize for himself. So he actually started farm-to-market bread with another guy, Mark. Um, Mark Friend, right? Out of the back of their the, car, right? What is the cafe? Uh, I can't remember. The Classic Cup. 
Is it Classic Cup? Uh, I think he was. Okay. He ended up like selling out of there, or at some point got connected with them. I think before then he was doing a, like I don't know where he was baking out of, and then um, that got to the point where it became too large for him, so he downscaled again to start for Very. So he's he is like bred to Kansas City, <laughs> like, and you're carrying on bit. that sort of um, yeah that artisanal legacy yeah Yeah, that lineage which i think is really fascinating but i can remember you guys are too young for this when i moved to kansas city um in 89 wow there was not much of a bread scene at all Mm. and that was just you know i was looking around for better bread all the time and soon after i can't remember the exact year i should have looked it up but farm to market came along Mm -hmm. and really changed the scene and i think i asked you about that when you bought for very You know, how did that feel? Because that was really, you know, continuing that lineage, I think, was really important mm-hmm. um, to Kansas City's unbreakable yeah. artisan <laughs> bread scene. We would not be the city we are right now without uh, both Mark and, and Fred. Yeah, yeah totally. absolutely. They and, paved the way for us to really be able to do what we do. And now there's you and Taylor and... Uh, Hearth yeah. baking, and who else would you say is sort of doing that kind of bread in this area? There was a guy who was doing like, he had, his name is Chris Glenn. He had a new traditionalist bread, but I think he's done now. I don't know that there's anybody else. Um, so it's still pretty small. Yeah, so yeah. Lawrence, Weston, Kansas City, right? Yeah. Yeah. Because I fell in love with Favari on a cheese slipper Saturday. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I could not believe I was eating it novel. And I loved the bread so much and said, where did this come from? And he goes, next down the block, you know, and you've got to go on a Saturday in the summer. Yeah. And I could not believe the line when I rolled up. I, I have not been this season. Are you guys continuing that or did that? Yeah. So we we are not going to do this season at Favari because we have some like longer term plans for that space that oh. uh, so yeah we're we're getting production all set up back there and we're hoping actually convert it back to wood fired so we're taking some time to like sort through all of that um so we're doing it at messenger um off of 17th and grand on Fridays uh through the summer cheese slippers to, yeah cheese slipper friday yeah cheese slipper friday this I'm year i'm really excited I- <laughs> I, I, how do you describe a cheese slipper? It's just delicious toppings in the middle, right? I mean, you can do a better job yeah. than me. So ciabatta is an Italian word, and it actually means slipper. So oh. cheese slipper is just ciabatta with cheese in it. And we do it with uh, just whatever toppings are at the market that day oh. and put out the menu right before, essentially. And we do four different options. We have beer, wine, desserts. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. Mark your it's calendars fun. for Cheese Slipper Friday. <laughs> Well, and then beyond bread, I mean, I love the cheese slipper. Chris knows we buy a lot of those because yeah. <laughs> he sees our name going through on the rotation sheet <laughs> of the orders. Um, but beyond that, like pastry, when did that sort of – because, I mean, it would be enough to just bake bread in the city, right? But yeah. then you had to go and do pastry, which kind of started, you know, a whole new thing for me. Yeah. I, we, as the more I got into bread, the more I became interested in doing like French style pastries, so croissants and brioche and tarts and stuff. And, uh, yeah, I took a class, uh, for a week out in San Francisco at the, the baking Institute, San Francisco baking Institute and came back and just tr- started to try to make them. 
Um, and I really wanted to use our sourdough starter. So our sourdough starter is like a little yeast bacteria culture that's just flour and water. And it's the it replaces yeast for our bread. So it's not dried yeast. It's like this live thing. We used to carry it around when we first opened dinner with us. It was like a little child. Does it yep. have a name? <laughs> have what? you named it? It's currently named Stephen. It was Steven? originally Michael Buble. Um, <laughs> and then we had a son. And then they die. Um, so we got for varies. Fred, Fred lent us some before. But anyway, he, he yeah, our, he, our starter. <laughs> a lot of starters are named. That's not yeah. weird, is it? No, it's not. You have to feed them. So they are like a little, um, anyways, we, uh, I wanted to use the starter in the Inwasserie, which is like laminated doughs. Uh, and yeah, that's how it started. And then we got really, really talented pastries, uh, staff from coming out of the the culinary school at Johnson County. Oh. And yeah, that's their program there is really it was it's amazing for for pastry. Um yeah, so I've just sort of let those people run with it and what they do is incredible. Yeah. Oh, awesome. Yeah. They have a great certification program out there. Now, yes. did you go to school there? First semester. Yeah. Okay. I just did cooking. You didn't yeah. you didn't do any baking? No. No. Yeah. This just still blows my mind. Right. Like, I am not a good baker. And it just, it's a lot of chemistry involved, right? But mm-hmm. also a lot of, well, there's the art form and the wild patience. fermentation and the patience. Like, yeah. And I always tell Chris, I said this first thing in the morning, I'm like, how's your day going? Because I know that baking starts at like yeah. three in the morning and I'm just like never going to be that person. Oh my gosh. <laughs> I see you, Chris. Me and you have the yeah. same alarm clock. <laughs> yeah. Lindsay's been up for hours before oh. I appear on the scene. <laughs> yeah. That's what you got you should start baking. Baker's <laughs> hours, right? Yeah. yeah. There's something about the morning that's good. <laughs> um Yeah, I don't remember what you just uh, <laughs> Oh yeah, what what <laughs> there was a question. Just, <laughs> we all started dreaming about bread in early morning. Well, it was about about how if you'd gone to Johnson County Community oh, College yeah, and, yeah. and just yeah. I mean, I'm I'm stunned by how quickly your learning curve has been. And and I know Fred had a piece in that, but still mm-hmm. only, you know, five years. Is it five years later? You know, yeah. you've got three major businesses going. Wow. Um, and so talk to us a little bit about that ramping up to the new place, because this is a building. Beautiful. You've been there, Lindsay, yes, right? Yes, it's huge. Yeah. Yeah. Many big... stories. Beautiful. <laughs> architecturally and otherwise. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, as I said before, we had had the dream of, like, a, the concept um, where you could come into a space and see coffee being roasted, mm-hmm. see baking happening, see your drink being made. And um, my my brother-in-law and brother, uh, so my brother-in-law's name is Trevor, my brother's name is Matt, they both... Um, really paid attention to the aesthetic of the space. Um, so Trevor's friend uh, did a lot of the artwork for it. Um, we had a, uh, I was telling Jill earlier before we started talking on the microphones that uh, we had an architect do the design that had what specialized in like coffee and bakeries. And they are on the West Coast and um, they had one of their designers who's originally from Kansas City. So they usually don't do projects outside of San Francisco. And so it was really cool to have them um, have that experience, know, know the right aesthetic. Uh, and, yeah, so it, it was 
it's bigger than I think any of us thought it would be. Mm. Um, and I remember before we opened, a week before, we were all freaking out. It was like, no one's going to come. Like, who's going to come <laughs> into this space? Like, we don't even know. <laughs> but people do. <laughs> yeah, they did, um, which was really amazing. Like, Kansas City has been so receptive to it. And, um, yeah, so the concept is, is just, yeah, just that you can come and, and engage as much as you want or as little as you want. You can be anonymous because there's a lot of people there, or you can talk to the bakers who are shaping bread right in front of you or talk to the person who's roasting coffee. Um, and we, we really hoped and, and continue to hope that people get in touch with where their food comes from because um, we really care. The reason why we started all of this actually is because we care about the, the supply chain um, and making sure that our sourcing is, is ethical and our pricing is correct to reflect that, the quantity of people that touch coffee from the farm to the, like when you actually drink it. Um, and we're applying the same concept to our food for out of our kitchen and also to our, our bread. So we've got a couple of farms that are growing and, and pastries too. Um, wheat for us, uh, just like heirloom varieties. Mm. Uh, we have a mill that we're milling all around flour for and producing the bread out of that. And it's amazing, like the, the difference in flavor and texture. Uh, it's very difficult <laughs> to work with. Sometimes because it's so sensitive to like humidity, and, mm. um, <laughs> temp- like temperature, and yeah. So we're hoping to establish, or, or at least participate in the establishment of like a more sustainable supply chain for 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 all of that. Um, and we want customers to engage that um, as much as they want to. Talk a little bit about the mill because I mm-hmm. it's fascinating, but. Yeah. I, I, I've seen a, uh, somebody pouring things into it a couple of times, but yeah. how does that, how often are you milling? We mill every day. <laughs> every day. Every day. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So we mill fresh every day and it's, it's basically, there's just a big hopper um, that stores the grain when you mill and it gets fed into two big stones, one that's stationary on the bottom and one that is rotating on the top. And the 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 rotation actually the the stones are textured they're coarse and they actually crush the wheat um, and then it gets blown out through a, a sifter which takes some of the bran off and then we can recombine it to make whole grain flour or we can keep it sifted off which is nicer for pastries but you retain the germ and all the nutrients and the oils um, so it goes stale it spoils very quickly so mm. you have to mill it fresh. Um, and it's like wild. Like we, it's just, it's totally wild. Like if you take regular flour and stick it in water and put it in a jar, nothing's going to happen for a while. If you take this flour and put it in water and stick it in a jar, nothing else. It will just start exploding over a few hours. Like it'll go crazy. <laughs> when you said 30 hours, it's like, oh, that's not, yeah. you know, I've heard a friend setting out a bowl of water and, you know, they watch Cooked on right. Netflix and they're like, I'm going to make my own bread and right. six days later. Nothing happens. Right. 30 hours is fast. Oh, it's fast. It's nuts. It's crazy. I remember the first time I was like, whoa, what is happening? It's so <laughs> but that's what, that's, what you want. that's what you want in your body. Like we're missing that. So it's healthier for you. It like helps it digest. Like all those bacteria and yeast and everything is actually like pre-digesting what your body is going to have to do later if you don't get, you know, if you just have like straight yeasted white bread. So 
Is there any difficulty in finding the wheat that you want to use? Yeah. Yeah. That's been a big challenge. And there's not a lot of grace in it. Like you get a harvest a year and if it fails or is not of good quality, you have to wait till the next year. Um, So we have a lot of like very courageous farmers who are planting stuff for us. We're like, can you try this for us? We really, (laughs) it doesn't, you know, it doesn't, it's not planted in Kansas. We can't get it locally. Um, which has been a cool process. Mm. It's been difficult uh, for both them and for us. But I think it's becoming easier, and we hope to like prove it out so that we can so that restaurants who want to make pasta can use flour that's grown like wheat, wheat flour that's grown like thirty minutes away. That's that's the end goal. Uh, so you maybe are going to offshoot into a flour business at some point. Yeah, probably. Wow. <laughs> yeah, because <laughs> our mill's maxed out, so we don't we can't even get the volume to distribute to ourselves um, completely. So we still have to supplement, especially at Lenexa. Um, and for very just converted over to, to using all fresh milled flour. Wow. Um, we're milling some stuff for Tomstown. We're milling some rye cool. for them, which is cool. So their, their rye, uh, rye whiskey will be made out of, out of flour that we've milled. Oh, oh, that's an awesome collaboration. Yeah, yeah. they use a lot of a lot of flour. <laughs> <laughs> wow. So when you approach farmers, though, and you ask them to grow a crop for you, mm-hmm. what kind of, you know, like financial mm. commitment are you making here? Because if they come up with nothing, mm-hmm. who's out? <laughs> yeah, we both are. Uh, mm. So we have a one guy, his name is Greg. He has a place called 180 Farms. He, we got all of our eggs from him um, before we opened our, our new space. Um, and he, we went to do a farm tour, and he had all these bags of grain just sitting around. And we're like, what's, what are these? He's like, oh, yeah, I grow wheat. Um, and uh, yeah, he had like 80 acres that he was converting to organic. Um, and his, his dad has another like 300-something um, his son, yeah, he, anyways, he, uh, he's really passionate about trying to, to grow good quality wheat, um, and was essentially just like doing it for himself and we just wanted to tack onto it. So we've like slowly kind of expanded. One of our crops completely failed last year. So, um, he has a backup plan. He's got hogs and cows that he feeds, feeds the, maybe just pigs that he, he does as well. So he uses that for them um but yeah the the commitment to purchasing is like a difficult thing so we've we used a good portion of it to try to like make stuff out of (laughs) um, which is challenging yeah and then also with the weather lately Mm -hmm. that uh, was the problem so much flooding okay Mm -hmm. so that's affecting huge yeah um if it gets too wet at the wrong time the weed actually sprouts and that's what we dealt with last year so you're you're dealing with like a vegetable instead of a starch at that point. Oh, interesting. Yeah. What about the flooding that we're dealing with now? Have they been able to plant or have you run into any issue for the future crop? So far, it's been okay yeah. um, based on their location. But, um, yeah, it it could be really bad. Mm. Um, yeah, we'll see. We'll find out in July. <laughs> right. Up and down the riverbed, yeah. truly. Yeah, I've been uh, driving by. I went up north and... I mean, just there's a lot of flooding going on. Oh, it's crazy. And uh, so that's going to be an issue, I think, down the road. Mm-hmm. So when you find a farmer that you can work with um, 
then do you tape, change your breads to reflect yeah. Yeah. the change mm. in flavor, I guess? Yeah. Like the profile that you're getting is different every time, right? Yeah. That's a really interesting process and fun, but also not fun um, at times. Uh, so the <laughs> what people don't maybe realize about our, our products is we change them constantly to try to get the same end result because there's so many variables that you have to control. If it's humid one day, if it's going to be 90 degrees versus 70 degrees, Kansas is like the worst for baking bread uh, <laughs> because of <laughs> the fluctuations. Um, so it's a constant uh, adaptation to how the grain comes out of the mill. E- like even 1% extra humidity and storage impacts it dramatically. So all of that is being dealt with all the time. So we are changing our recipes daily, wow. actually, to try to achieve the same end result. <laughs> um, yeah. So you need really smart bakers who really can uh, work on yeah. on the fly and be kind of self-directed, it sounds like. Yeah. It, they, and they, they do amazing, um, amazing jobs at figuring it out. And it's, it's like a skill set. Like it's a, f- that's what I love about baking most, I think, is just that it's a, it's, it is a chemical process, but it's also like very intuitive and you can gain that intuition the more you work with the product. So to get to the point where you're actually like able to have a moment where you're like, whoa, I feel what I need to do instead of following a recipe and being told what I need to do. That's where we try to get staff. Um, and that's what I love about it. Like the more you do it, the better you become at it essentially. And it's really meditative. Yeah. Because yeah. of that, you're like, you, you get the recipe down and then it's all like, is it ready or not? Um, do I need to let it wait or is it time to like shape it? Yeah. And, and that rhythm is, is really nice. Cause you enter into it like freshly every day. You're not taking something from the, the, the day before and utilizing your starting new um, so you have to like be conscious of all of those variables. And if you get, if you get distracted, it's like, if I have bad days, the bread turns out bad. It hmm. just does. If I, um, am like feeling frustrated, it just doesn't come out well because I'm not paying attention. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. Well, let's talk about the economics of bread too, though. Hmm. So you look at bread can be $8 a loaf or, or more. And some people go, I can't do that. Yeah. Um, ha- have we changed as cus- consumers out there? Have we decided that we want to pay more for our bread? I don't think on a mass scale we have. I yeah. think that's that's an ongoing challenge that we face for, for really all of our products is like you it, – it's, it's, it's a difficult uh, balance between um, – the real price, like what it should be priced at mm-hmm. um, and and what the market price of the product is. So the association that some, when, when someone can go to a grocery store and buy prepackaged bread um, outside of farm to market bread, uh, that and when that becomes interchangeable with bread that's made by hand over multiple hours, it's very labor intensive, the... It's a, it's a very difficult thing to balance. So we have to illustrate and educate, which is what my wife is amazing at, um, that like educate people why it's better for you, why it's different, why it's more expensive. Um, but I think there's a lot of people that uh, 
yeah, don't know that um, or are unwilling to commit to that. And that's fine. It's a process. Uh, And that's one of the reasons why we're actually interested in the supply chain as a whole, because part of the issue is just commodity wheat pricing and commodity wheat structures in general. Like actually the farms that are being most impacted by the flooding are big commodity farms because they have no erosion protection. It's just everything's running off. Um, it's, it's, it's the reason why the flood is so bad. Um, not solely, but it's a big contributor. So the, the whole supply chain is actually flipped upside down. If we could have more localized grain could have more localized wheat, um, could have better care for like the soil and the, the agricultural processes, we could actually drop our pricing mm-hmm. um, because there'd be more demand for those weird, which which are now weird grains, but they were normal uh, 100 years ago. So we're really interested in, in engaging that more because um, collectively, we if it, you could meet in the middle in a way where but that's that's a long process. <laughs> Talk about what makes them weird, as you say. What makes the weird wheat that you're looking for? <laughs> yeah, the 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 wheat's weird because they're all different heights. Uh, so wheat has been bred over the course of you know the past hundred years to um, to grow at a specific height, so it can be harvested by big tractors. Um, if it gets too tall, they can't harvest them. Um, or if it gets too low, they can't harvest them. Um, also to produce really large starchy um, berries, which are what the kernels of the grain, which are actually the things that you mill into flour. And the the weird wheat is all different. It's just like more wild. They're closer. They're, they have a more, they're more closely connected with grass. Um, uh, and so the flavor is totally different. Uh, the yield is totally different. Like if you plant them all next to each other, they're all going to look different from one another. They have different colors. Uh, yeah. So what we know, they look weird <laughs> comparatively. <laughs> if you put them next to like regular commodity wheat, um, they almost don't look like the same thing. Hmm. Yeah. How do you handle um, gluten-free, carb-conscious people? I mean, does this seem to impact your um your business or or does everyone out there say they're not eating carbs but they really are (laughs) (laughs) we haven't we've had less of a carb thing but i don't really talk to i'm i'm more behind the scenes so i don't i don't know as much as probably our staff would about this but i know that we have the benefit of gluten being pre-digested by like that the yeast culture the sourdough starter that we use and the quality of the grain that we get so we're able to sell bread and people are able to eat it that have gluten sensitivities if you're celiacs that's like a literal allergic reaction and we we you know there's nothing we can do about that but you know we have a huge range of customers that don't get impacted by our products that do get impacted by other products um, that that may look the same, but they're treated differently in the process. Mm-hmm. So that's been really cool to be in the midst of all like a lot of the gluten allergy thing and a lot of people getting diagnosed with that. And then us being able to like, well, you can try it. And 
we have hundreds of people who are able to like eat our bread who haven't had bread for multiple years. Like you can eat it. Yeah. It's interesting. Apart from celiac and apart from an actual gluten allergy, it's like fermented bread has become its own category. Yes. Naturally yeah. fermented, right? Yeah. Yeah. It's like, you know, lactose intolerant versus yogurt. Like some people are able to like, if it's a true traditional yogurt, people can maybe eat it or cheese. That's like, yeah, so it's similar to that, but it's even maybe more extreme. Um, cause what we're used to eating is like that really poor quality wheat with yeast that's risen over a very short period of time. So it'd basically be like taking raw flour, putting water in it and eating that. Like that's, that, that is what your body's trying to do. And that's like sticky and, well, you know, if you actually try that, <laughs> you can understand why it'd be hard for your body. To... And I think that you have. I'm yeah, getting I definitely have. <laughs> Part of the process, right? <laughs> that was one of the first things I learned from Fred. He like told me to take a ball of dough and put it under water and keep rubbing it in my hands and I'll actually see the gluten in the end. Like everything will be stripped away and you'll see this like gluten web. I didn't know and you could actually <laughs> see it. I thought it was one of those chemical things you would never really, you know, at sort of at the microbial yeah, but biological it, level. It chains up. So you you can actually like visually it's not it is, but it you can see it. It's very, it's, it's crazy. It's, it's a fun experiment. Wow. Yeah. So do you have like a whole marketing campaign to, you know, how, how do you, how do you get these messages out that you, you're doing a lot of cool stuff? Yeah. We, I don't think we do a good, uh, to be honest, I don't think we could do a good job at that. I really am poor at that. I just have it all in my head. It's like, well, this makes sense. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, so, but, and I think people are able to taste it. And be like, there's something different about it. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, we, we've been talking a lot about how we can just do a better job at people understanding what we, what we do and why. And mm-hmm. why, yeah, why it's important to us at least. That would be important if you were going to expand in a big way. Yeah. <laughs> Hint. Is there any expansion on the horizon here? Um, we're talking about it. We, as I said, I'm really interested in, in doing maybe a larger scale milling project. We have some people who are interested in being a part of that. Um, there's a really cool group right now, just independent bakers from places that are meeting up once a month to talk about it, uh, to just try to make the grain economy better. Uh, so, like, itinerant bakers in this area? Yeah, or, like huh? people from Wheatfield, from 1900, ah. from our place. Uh, yeah, and that's been really cool. It's, yeah, it's, uh, so we'll see. I don't know. We we just did cold brew for coffee, um, so we're canning mm. our cold brew. And Ooh. that's uh, that's going, I don't know, we, we, we thought that maybe this year we'd just, like, not... And so we'll see. <laughs> this year we'll because every year you seem to. Okay, so one thing that sort of bugged me um, is that there's no IBIS on the messenger building. Why is that? We actually did put it on the side. It wasn't oh. originally there. Okay. Um, yeah. Have you noticed that, Lindsay? Mm-hmm. The front says, like you said earlier, messenger. Yeah. 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 Um, we thought that it was important to have a space for people to engage with Messenger Coffee as a company. Because at that point, they're just before, just in a warehouse. No one could come into the space unless you're an account. Well, it was open to people if they wanted to come by, but it was like right in an office complex. Uh, 
And yeah, so we wanted, yeah, we wanted people to be able to understand what they were about. Um, so that's why. And we felt like people understood that about Ibis. Like we had our farmer's market stands. Mm-hmm. They were familiar enough with our retail experience. And Messenger hadn't had an opportunity to, to have that. And uh, the Ibis, talk about the origin of that name and uh, bird. Yeah, the, <laughs> my brother found and came up with the word, my brother Matt. He uh, was just looking up. Com- we wanted something that was like relatively simple. Uh, so he was looking up different things. And the bird, the Ibis bird actually eats only in community. So it won't eat by itself. Oh. Uh, we thought that was a cool analogy slash metaphor for for what we wanted out of our spaces and for our products, yeah. I, I had forgotten about that, and you had told me that story. I looked up an yeah. old story, and I'm like, oh, that's why. Because after a while, you just sort of, you know, at first you go, well, why would you name your bread company after a bird? Mm-hmm. Right. <laughs> but then after a while, you, it's just common knowledge that right. Ibis is Ibis, and that's what it's <laughs> that's what it's been, right? You know, all those years now of... <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> um, but what's it like working with family? Uh, it's it's it has its challenges. Yeah, let's talk about those. <laughs> I don't know <laughs> if I want to. Well, in in vague terms, but like you know, bread, coffee. Uh, you got a lot going on. You've got three generations, right? Yeah, two. Or do you two. have more? Do you have two? Okay, yeah. two. Well, wait, um, your, are your parents still in? Yeah. Okay, so yeah, two. Yeah, you got. I got it. Laterally. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, so I think there's what's positive about it is we're able, I think we've gotten to the point where we are now because of our ability to just like talk about things and not have, but, but it's also at this point, um, yeah, it's been tough. It's been fun as well. Uh, we've had some people, well, some of our family members who are like exiting out of the businesses to kind of do their own thing. Um, cause in the process, like when you have competing value sets, um, at it's, it's hard to like make decisions or yeah. And, and on good terms, but like, uh, yeah, just wanting to function independently and yeah, there's, so is lo- it like three separate businesses that kind of. Yeah, and so part of the reason for some of the exits is we've been trying to make it more unified. So we not not change branding or anything like that, but um, make sure that we are being conscious of staff. Like, so if they come in and they need they work at one space and then work in another space, they're able to like understand that a lot of the systems and stuff. And it's been just disconnected because the way we've grown um, and how kind of rapidly we have grown. So we're consolidating it. And in that process, we're having to talk about like, why are we doing what we're doing? Um, mm-hmm. Really? And we realize that people have different perspectives and opinions and that's totally fine. Um, so it's, it's been a, it's been a conversation around it, why really? Um, well, you're creating culture right now, aren't you? Yeah. And I think we've had the growth. disconnected culture in the past just because of the growth. So it's, it's a cool time. Um, but it's been, a, it's been a little difficult. Yeah. Yeah. I see the wheels grinding there. Yeah. I mean, 
that's a lot of growth in a really short time. I bet you're suddenly confronted with like HR issues yeah, and, and hiring and firing <laughs> and employee uh, handbooks, yeah, oh, all that stuff, right? All those things you never really thought about <laughs> as the baker, right? It's like I don't need a handbook, <laughs> <laughs> but maybe you do. We do need a handbook, <laughs> right? <laughs> Can we talk about? Uh, the coffee, because I sure, yeah, Messenger is delicious coffee, I, the kind of coffee that requires tasting notes, which I think is a great thing. And uh-huh. Kansas City's coffee scene, really, in the last, I mean, what do you think? What do you think? Ten years, fifteen. Yeah. The roastery has been around for a long for a time now, uh-huh. uh, but since then, all of these other really making a name for themselves coffees, oddly correct, thou mayest, Messenger to be sure, yeah. What has brought on that change, do you think? And, and how has the taste changed of people drinking coffee in Kansas City? Yeah, I think, I think it's some combination between having... So we have, we have a couple of really amazing resources in Kansas City for coffee. Um, M- Marty and Trudy Bro, they do service calls. So they do espresso installations and repairs. Oh. Um, and most cities don't have them. They get flown out to other cities to do, to do what they do. Really? So to have that in Kansas City is like if I want to open a coffee shop, we have a low barrier to entry because of that. Hmm. Um, and also uh, pricing, you know, it's it's relatively cheap to get a space in Kansas City. Hmm. It's relatively easy to set up a roaster and roast coffee. Um, and the community is is one that like a lot of people have come out of the roastery um, or kind of out of Starbucks. So that, that already... Uh, there's there's a base there's a baseline I think that we've been able to to move off of um, yeah and I think uh, there's I don't know what it looks like several like f- five years from now I think it's hard to know uh, hard to know how much how yeah how much it'll continue to grow um, but it's a really cool time to to be to be in that industry in Kansas City. And customers appreciate it. Like, we have amazing customers who are, like, super supportive and loyal to, to brand. So loyalty to them. Yes. Loyalty to Messenger, loyalty to, to their space, and that's that's awesome. Um, yeah. So Kansas City coffee is, is, is great. It's a great time to be a part of it. It kind of reminds me of the brewery scene. Yeah, you know, we just got a lot going on. Yes. Um, in the city, and it's <laughs> fascinating. And I think part of that, again, Lindsay, we've talked about this before with other people and between ourselves, uh, collaboration. Just mm-hmm. people really working yeah. with each other, sharing, getting together for meetings. Um, you know, coming yeah. over, come over to my place, and you see chefs in each other's places. You see brewers hanging out with other brewers. You see, yeah, bakers. I guess hanging out with other bakers. Right. I love yeah. that. You all cheer each other on. Yeah. I think it literally is that way. <laughs> yeah, and that, you know, that maybe is not like that in other cities. I, I don't know if that's Kansas City rare or what do you think? I don't know, actually. I don't – I'm not connected much outside of the city um, because, yeah, so I'm not really sure. But it's hard to imagine it being that connected. Um, and it – I think it's also hard to imagine it. If you take the San Francisco, for example, it's a lot more expensive to open a space. So it's a lot, I mean, to, to get the investment, to get the experience, like you've got to have it on um, and you have to make it um, and you need to do a lot to make it. So there can be a level of competition in that process. I think that we don't necessarily have to 
participate in. Um, then it happens, but yeah, I think there. I had an interesting conversation with a guy. Actually, <laughs> we did a collaboration beer with a new brewery, um, and I was sitting with him, and he was talking about Kansas City. He travels all over the place, and he was saying there's. He loves being here right now because um, it it feels like there's this rare combination of the right economy, the right um, amount of demand from customers, and uh, yeah, that and just like the 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 right quantity of knowledge to start things, mm. and there's just so much energy going into to new things and newness. And I think it's really special. He's like, it's not going to be there forever. Um, it's a cool time. We're in a moment. Yeah. That's exactly how we put it. Hmm. We are. Yeah. I always, we always get up on a Saturday morning and we always want to go somewhere. And it, the, all the conversation always ends with, I'd love to go there, but they don't have great coffee or uh. I'd love to go there, but they don't have like the kind of food that we're looking for. The combo is pretty rare to be that good at baking and that good at coffee at the same time. I mean, how did you guys do that? <laughs> we have really good people. Right? <laughs> I can't take coffee for the, or credit for the coffee at all. Um, we've got amazing people who source coffee well, who roast coffee well, who like make coffee well. Um, yeah. So I, yeah, I just try to get out of the way. <laughs> do you think about the coffee when you're baking, like like people would a beer or wine pairing at all? Do you know what I mean? Yeah. You yeah. do. Oh yeah. Yeah. Like, like when you're thinking about this kind of coffee would taste good with what? I don't know. Yeah, we really want to have a little tasting menu on uh, where we are able to like do pairings because the the pastry staff thinks a lot about it. Like, would what coffee would this go well with, and make a suggestion for it. Um, so that's something we're thinking about more. But coffee and baked things go just generally well together. I mean, Absolutely. bakers drink a lot of coffee. <laughs> <laughs> right? They have to. Yeah. They get up so darn early. That's right. It's outrageous. Yeah, I thought you were going to ask, do I think about coffee? Honestly? <laughs> I, do. I definitely do. Dream about it. I have some right next to me. <laughs> do you think a lot more people are more, I, I, for the first time in my life, walked into one of our favorite coffee shops and go, can I have this blend this time? Like, I'm all of a sudden conscious of, that's really fruity and acidic and maybe... Today, I don't want that. I want the more nutty kind of... You know what I mean? Yeah. And I know I'm not alone or no, at all the not. first person to finally start to think that way consumer-wise. Yeah. Has that happened when people walk into oh, your yeah. store? <laughs> yeah. It's, it's cool. Yeah. Um, and again, like the staff does a really good job at like expressing the options. Like this one's going to be more nutty and chocolatey um, or do you... Or kind of like heavier do you, or this one's going to be more acidic and bright. And yeah, how do you feel about... Like, which one do you want? We always have options. I think mm. it's so we never just have one. Um, so people always get to choose and they get to be told, like, here are the, the choices. And we also do a little slow bar experience. So on our second story of our of Messenger Space, they on the weekends, we have a barista from downstairs and one of our um, people from Messenger Wholesale Company partner up and do a flight. So it's like six dollars um, and you you get basically three different coffees um, or all of this, all the same coffee brewed in three different ways. Um, and people can engage that and yeah. do engage that a lot. And that's a really cool, like if you get three different Ethiopian coffee or three different African coffees, Kenya, Ethiopia, something else, uh, you can really taste the difference. So that's an educational tool too for people like I had this and I see it on the menu now and that's what I feel like drinking today. It's yeah. wild. I like wine. 
Yeah. Completely. I remember my brother who adores coffee and made his own, I'm going to say it wrong, Kyoto, the dripping. Anyway. Yeah. Yes. Um, when he said, this one has a bell pepper note. I'm like, what? Yeah. <laughs> but then I could taste it. It's, it's yeah, the same. Yeah, bell pepper. It is like tasting wine. It's kind of like bubble gum with the crane beer right. we were talking oh, about. Yeah. And I'm like, that's a word that yeah. doesn't get associated with wine very much, but yeah, it does help expand your your sense of what you're tasting and the thought that goes into it mm-hmm. yeah and the the energy that goes to it on the farm level mm. is it, it makes it so distinct it can like there can be two farms side by side and they can be very different mm. um it's it's incredible actually so much of it like messengers philosophy and the way they source and roast is that they're just like pulling out flavors it's not it's already there it's just their job to pull it out um figure out the right profile to maximize what it has to offer. So they already exist in the whole, in the it's coffee. It's terroir, right? That yeah, sense yeah. of place mm-hmm. that everything is different. And, mm-hmm. and coffee's fermented. It's a fermented, it's a fermented food like wine. Um, yeah. And that fermentation has an impact as well. Significant impact. Yeah. So if you hadn't stumbled into uh, the whole coffee and bread thing, what would you be doing? Would you still be skateboarding somewhere? Probably. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going surfing next weekend. <laughs> oh, fun. <laughs> yeah. Uh, In a nearby uh, lake? <laughs> no. <laughs> Not so much? Uh, no. Yeah. In San Diego. San Diego. For a couple of days. I probably, I don't, I think I would be being outside doing something. Hmm. Yeah. Maybe making wine. I'm interested oh. in that. Probably skateboarding or maybe surfing. <laughs> And fermentation of some kind. Yes, right? definitely fermentation. Yeah, got to have that. When um, you're traveling, do you stop in other bakeries, other coffee shops? Oh, yeah. Yeah. I try to connect with them ahead of time, especially oh. bakers. So like, just to see their process. And again, the community is so collaborative. That's like I've baked with a lot of, of different places. I baked with uh, two guys in Italy overnight when I was on vacation a few years ago. Wow. And we didn't, like, we didn't speak the same language, so... It was it was an incredible experience where these guys are just doing their thing and we're looking at each other and showing pictures of what we do and comparing it um, and drinking coffee. <laughs> How fun. So fun. Yeah, it's so fun. <laughs> uh, yeah, so traveling, I definitely, I, I love trying different places and getting exposed to what other people are doing. And bringing it back here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Did you bake bread when you were a kid? My grandma baked bread, and I used to help her. I didn't ever, like, bake it myself, I don't think. But when she passed away, I got her bread bowl that mm. she made all of her bread from. <laughs> so I still use that. That's lovely. Yeah. 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 Sounds like it was, it was meant to be. Mm. Chris, thank you so much for coming yeah. on. Thanks for having me. I'll see great. you at Cheese Slipper Saturday, man. Yeah. Or Friday, Friday. cheese slipper Friday. (laughs) Not if I elbow you out first. (laughs) Watch out, girl. (laughs) Thanks for coming in. Mm -hmm.